This is a special Uncommon Sense podcast for 3 FM with Amy Mullins. The interview you're about to hear is with philosopher and author Anne Mann. Anne joined me to talk about her contribution to the book Dangerous Ideas About Mothers. Her contribution was a chapter entitled Mothers and the Quest for Social Justice, From the Universal Breadwinner to the Universal Caregiver Regime. You are tuned in to Uncommon Sense on 3RRRFM. This is Amy Mullins, and I'm taking you through till noon. As I said before, I'm really pleased to have with me philosopher and author Anne Mann with me in the studio. And uh, Anne has written a range of pieces recently around a similar topic, um, a really important topic, uh, which is about caregiving and, uh, and particularly women and their role in caregiving that has been solidified and uh, really it's almost immovable in terms of our understanding of mothers and uh, and their role in society, but we're here to change things. So um, Anne has written a chapter in a book, Mothers and the Quest for Social Justice from the Universal Breadwinner to the Universal Caregiver Regime. And that book is Dangerous Ideas About Motherhood. Uh, and it is a, a a book full of a range of authors, some really fascinating women, but I welcome Anne Mann to talk to me about it. Hi there. Hi, Amy. Hi, and thank you for coming in and giving us your time. I really do appreciate it. Oh, it's lovely to be with you again. It is, yes. And I really enjoyed our last chat, which was, um, you know, about the measurement of GDP and uh, how caregiving is so not even vaguely understood or measured in a way of our productivity and our wealth. And, you know, I also find it fascinating that we constantly talk about women's workforce participation and, oh, if you had this many more women participating in the workforce, they would contribute this many billion dollars to the GDP, somehow suggesting that these women are sitting about at home, chilling out, not doing much, and that, you know, we've valorised this idea of full-time work and and women juggling it all and caring and working at the same time. It's a lot less glamorous than that, and there are a lot of people doing it really tough, particularly at those end where mothers, single mothers, as you say, are dependent on government assistance. And that's where some of the biggest um, disadvantage is seen. Um, First of all, I'd just like to ask you, in, I guess, the history of Australia, there have been some pivotal moments where we've seen positive steps towards supporting mothers and their role as caregivers and also recognising just how much they do do um, and contribute to society in that role. Yes, well, in 1973, uh, Gough Whitlam bought in a single mother's payment and that was a watershed moment really in the um, history of motherhood in Australia, uh, the history of maternalism, because for the first time women were paid an inadequate but small wage for caring for a child. And that was a really decisive development because instead of, uh, as um, previous to that moment, women being forced to give children up, uh, often in the most brutal ways, to adoption, uh, being shamed as single mothers, having absolutely no um, uh, method of support if they didn't have the, um, inverted commas, respectability of marriage. Um, they were in an absolutely parlous economic situation. So the single mothers' 
pension enabled uh, women to um, be able to breastfeed a baby when they uh, were on their own. They, it enabled them um, to have a small income um, and it certainly didn't prevent them from going into the workforce but gave them a transitional uh, kind of income. Mm. And it was my hope at that time, I have to say, I was... Uh, the child of a uh, single mother um, who, through divorce, but who we now describe um, all those who are uh, non-partnered um, as single mothers. And uh, she uh, struggled enormously after um, a mental illness and a time in a psychiatric hospital and then um, to come to a country town and try and find employment. And when, uh, that was in the 60s, and when I saw this um, transformation under Gough Whitlam, I thought, fantastic, we are now going to start supporting mothers. However, unfortunately, history took a different turn. Uh, and that different turn was that by the 80s, we were taking what I call the great leap forward into neoliberalism. And that, um, I'm sure your listeners know what I'm speaking about, but just to run through it, the idea that markets um, are God, um, that everything can be determined by the market more efficiently than by any other means, that you reduce government expenditure, that if you give tax cuts, um, the most important ones are going to be to business, um, that you um, have uh, the uh, removal or decimation of unions so that you don't have union power um, holding up wages, um, and all kinds of working conditions are uh, done by, via enterprise bargaining, one individual to one employer. So uh, for all of these reasons, we now find ourselves in 2018 with instead of the trajectory being a really positive one from that 1973 moment um, and, uh, you know, developing it into a parenting allowance, developing it, in, in, developing it into an understanding that this is really important, crucial caregiving work for the society, we have actually um, now stigmatised, shamed um, and put into poverty many um, single mothers and sole parents. Mm, so in many ways we've taken a step backwards. Yes, Yes, I believe so. And I think that the key moment um, is that move into neoliberalism. And I think we often confuse uh, neoliberalism and feminism. So what I, I say that it's um, neoliberalism is, uh, you know, sort of being cast as, uh, you know, it's really a wolf in um, feminist sheep clothing, you know, mm. so, you know so that it, the... Both movements, both the feminist movement and the neoliberal economic movement, had as a key goal paid work. Now, understandably, for all of those um, uh, mothers who were housewives or who were, you know, who were prevented from uh, even holding down a job if they're in the public service or if uh, women I know who are old enough to remember um, had to resign from their, the bank they were working at if they married and uh, all women were asked in job interviews, so what are your intentions with respect to motherhood and so on? So yeah. there was a... An, uh, the old regime was extraordinarily unfair to the capacity of women to have economic independence, which of course is so important. Um, but... Uh, it, it is also the case that that um, old regime hasn't translated into something which both supports their caregiving and mm. also supports them, it gives them the necessary supports to actually achieve that kind of economic independence. So if feminism's idea, based around social justice, 
of economic independence, which would be something like free, universal, um, high-quality childcare. It would be shared care giving between men and women. Um, it would be small community centres rather than the big mega um, corporate childcare um, chains and so on. Um, that model has been really cast aside for the neoliberal model, which is um, childcare and aged care for profit, and we're currently mm-hmm. seeing um, in the media you know, some of the terrible stories um, that are happening um, to old people in, in, in nursing homes. Um, and it, the ideal of full-time labour, full-time paid work, and that has become something of a kind of sacred, an unquestionable sacred. And if you're not in full-time paid work, what's wrong with you? Whereas, you know, I would flip that um, whole idea on its head and say, actually, you need to look at what those people are actually doing and what they're doing is really invaluable to the whole society caregiving you know so we we've lost the idea of a small wage being paid to those who are um, parenting and we've also lost the idea I mean whatever happened to this no child should be in poverty which was Mm. the mantra of the Hawke government so now under the auspices of you know, we're doing women a favour by forcing them into paid work. We have removed the parenting um, payments. We have cut all kinds of um, allowances to them. And what we've found is many of those um, single mothers especially are in uh, dire poverty. That's such a great point. And I think what was really um, sad is what how you open your story in terms of... Um, some of the changes that the Gillard government brought in, um, you write that on the 9th of October 2012, that that day that Julia Gillard delivered her justly famous anti-misogyny speech, her government passed the Social Security Legislation Amendment Fair Incentives to Work Act of 2012, which... uh, really critically meant that from the 1st of January 2013, recipients of the parenting payment, which as you say is mainly uh, single mothers, would cease to receive that um, when their youngest child turned uh, eight if you're a single parent or uh, six if you are a partnered parent. Um, And they were moved on to New Start, which as we know is hasn't been changed for so long, uh, is not even close to a living income at all um, and is just so grossly uh, underfunded that uh, mm. it barely does represent what it should have been, which was a social safety net. But one would question why Julia Gillard would move um, mothers from this uh, parenting payment, which is recognising parenting and caregiving, onto a job seeker allowance which is an, a completely different payment that is that really highlighting there that neoliberalism tension uh, absolutely i mean it uh, th- that and all the subsequent policies where um, the uh, what gillard established has been continued by uh, successive uh, liberal um, governments coalition governments um, it, the essentially the idea is that a job is the best welfare now that's all very well But as the cases that I begin my essay with show, uh, many of these women are already working. It's just that they about 60% of them are working, but they're working often at low-paid jobs and jobs which are based around um, a children's children's need for care. Mm. So 
um, some of the uh, cases I give are, um, let me take um, two. One was a woman who um, uh, who went to the Blue Mountains and uh, she went there because of rent. Many sole parents have fled capital cities to find affordable rent in mm. country towns. The country town where I spent part of my childhood in Bendigo um, has a very large single mother population and it is understandable if you think about what just for one second what Sydney or Melbourne rents are. But that of course means a smaller um, uh, set of opportunities for employment or it means very long commutes to somewhere where there is employment. And an expensive commute. And an expensive commute. So uh, the the, um, the woman Katrina Ray in the Blue, um, the Blue Mountains that I was talking about uh, actually ended up getting pneumonia um, and falling extremely ill when she had children to care for mm. because of this. She was working two jobs, um, very long hours uh, and already doing it tough in a um, rented house with, you know, just one little bar heater to keep them warm in sub-zero temperatures in winter. Um, and another case was that of Harper. Her, and uh, the case of Harper came from um, Petra Buskin's very interesting work on universal basic income um, for the Green Institute. And she pointed out that Harper and many other single mothers like her um, are actually taking to the road to leave... Uh, with energy prices and rent, places like Melbourne and travelling north and uh, travelling where it's warm in the winter, um, where camping out at showgrounds, find another community of other mothers mm. who were kind of um, economic refugees, if you like, from the south. Um, and as uh, Buskin says, it's, you know, let's not kid ourselves, this is actually homelessness with, with benefits. Um, so the plight of um, sole parents are not only in particular stories, but um, you, we have quite a lot of economic modelling which has shown that the changes to the parenting payment have actually pushed them into poverty. So I guess for this book, you know, Dangerous Ideas About Mothers, mm. um, I was asked originally to write um, an, a, an essay on the ethic of care, which I've done um, quite a lot of work on thinking about what kind of ethic of care we have for vulnerable people, whether it's people with a disability, children, old people, you know, how do we incorporate that um, as a legitimate and honourable part of everyone's life, but also the, the society. Um, but I decided in this instance, because I'm becoming, have been becoming increasingly alarmed by the way sole parents are stigmatised as lazy, as drug adult, as promiscuous, mm. as, you know, um, deadbeat moms, essentially, um, when, in fact, the so many, like my own mother's story, but so many of the um, people I know and so many of, of those, uh, when you delve into the issue, are stories of quiet heroism um, and extraordinary resilience and an ethic of care produced under the most um, difficult of circumstances, circumstances mm. that we should not be allowing. Um, so ethic of care, I decided to flip and say on its head and say, well, what about the ethic of care we are providing for mothers, for all mothers, but in particular these vulnerable mothers? And my answer was, you know, we are not providing any kind of ethic of care. And so then the rest of the essay is an analysis of exactly what's gone wrong mm. and how we might remedy it. Well, there certainly isn't any ongoing ethic of care. There's not even really a conversation about whether we should be providing care 
to those who care for others. Um, and one of the things that I um, am particularly disappointed about is that the introduction of um, maternity leave, paid parental leave was really focused on women. It wasn't focused on um, the, which I also hate this terminology, primary caregiver versus secondary caregiver, because apparently they're tiered and men Mm. and women must, you know, divvy it up unequally. Um, But also that it was a minimum wage for um, a person of only 18 weeks. And it was just that was it. That's all you got. Like, and and it was kind of hailed as some major achievement. And I guess in a way it was because we didn't have any, mm. but mm. it certainly wasn't a good solution because superannuation wasn't included, and therefore women are retiring on you know far lesser retirement incomes than men. What what are your thoughts in terms of that development? Because the Gillard government then brought that in and obviously wanted to take a lot of credit for doing something that they think is supporting mothers. Yes. Well, just to preface my remarks on um, paid parental leave, it's just as you say, superannuation. Because that's a contributory system, it means that anyone who has Apache um, uh, participation in the workforce, which invariably means mothers or um, adult daughters who mm. move out of the workforce in order to care for an elderly parent. Um, and the last time I looked around at the um, carers of the elderly, I see almost entirely adult daughters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so leaving work early, for example, in order to um, care for a parent who's now um, a dependent. And what we find is that uh, significant numbers of women, older women, are now homeless because of their careless, uh, their caring um, uh, activities, uh, and our carelessness towards them, and that women in retire with far less um, retirement benefits, and yet our impetus in our thinking about. Uh, retirement and old age is that you provide for yourself. In fact, the thinking throughout all of this is you provide for yourself. But what it's not acknowledging is what happens to people who are responding to the very particular care needs um, of their children. Mm. Which brings me to the paid parental leave. Now, because we came from a base of nothing, it might seem very generous to get 18 weeks of paid parental leave. But if, as I have been, tracking Scandinavian policies for a very long time. Um, it is extraordinarily pathetic. Um, yep. I'd also say, as a mother of now two adult children, um, 18 weeks? Are you kidding? Yeah, you know, do, you, know. do you seriously think that <laughs> caregiving responsibilities end uh, in uh, you know just um, a little blip in the first year of, of a baby's life? Mm. Um, it's about 20 years of dependency, uh, and sometimes each, more. Sometimes more, yeah. yes, definitely sometimes more. Um, and so this idea that that somehow fixed it all, um, it, it became a policy which was too freighted with a sense of the solution to all of the work and family yeah. um, uh, problems. And I noticed that John Howard, bless him, <laughs> said <laughs> that work and family were um, a barbecue stopper Um, which I suppose meant that his daughter Melanie was perhaps having some difficulties. I'm not sure. But whatever the case, he raised this as something that's happening all across Australian families. Now, whatever happened to that? 
It's as yeah. you know, so the problem of the symbolics around a, sh- a brief period of parental le- paid parental leave is that it's um, you know that that, that stops is the conversation. The uh, just to give a few examples, um, I've come on this program earlier in the year and talked about the huge contribution women make mm. um, to uh, in their unpaid work to GDP. Um, it's not recognised as part of GDP, but it actually constitutes if you. Um, cash out, even at a minimum rate, all the hours um, and all the work that they do at about 43% of the value of GDP, larger than any other sector. So we consistently have policies whereby we make decisions and we don't take account of this huge uh, contribution to the economy. It is essentially treated as nothing. And because it's treated as nothing, it means that this... Um, inverted commas, unproductive, inverted commas, inactive, (laughs) these inactive citizens um, can then just be deployed into the workforce. Mm. So the model of the welfare bludger has crept in in the most destructive way towards, um, I think, all those who are doing a lot of care work, um, but especially towards um, single mothers. So in Scandinavia, they have so many policies um, sick days for children, for example, so that you can take a day off work. Mm. Uh, in Sweden, they have um, days of um, a shorter uh, a shorter working day, so that you can finish at four pm. Um, you can uh, have much longer parental leave, and then you can choose to go on to a parenting allowance. So in Finland, they have a choice between a parenting allowance and um, using uh, very inexpensive childcare. Uh, but their tax base is much larger. So they are putting their money where their mouth is on this question, whereas the mantra of the neoliberals has been self-sufficiency, look after yourself. And in a way, a lot of the what we called or used to call the mummy wars are about individualising guilt mm. when actually the solutions are social, they are organisational and they are um, profoundly economic. Yes, and government-led they have to be government-led. Yeah. Um, and we have to, as a community, shift the idea that it is solely women's labour and they have to be either self-sacrificing or superwomen or mm. somehow sorted out yeah. um, themselves uh, and bear the problems, you know, on their own skin. So we actually have to shift. Um, in, the, in, the, in the essay, I uh, try and... Uh, uh, offer a conceptual framework for what we've been doing. And the conceptual framework is that we are, have been trying to establish under neoliberalism, or not we, but the, um, especially the head honchos of the Liberal Party, yes. um, all male, yeah. um, have been trying to establish um, a universal breadwinner regime so that everyone essentially can pay for themselves. They pay for themselves in old age, they pay for themselves um, except for a small period of parental leave um, uh, during the uh, really time-consuming early child-rearing years. They pay for themselves um, in, in if they have major problems in their family like mental illness or disability. Um, and that has now shown to be a completely faulty model. If you're serious about... Um, equality, if you're serious about social justice for mothers, for all caregivers, um, you need to shift the paradigm. That's the paradigm we've been working under and that paradigm, um, if you have uh, single mothers trooping off to Queensland and sleeping at a showground um, and having a shower every other day in order 
to survive with a small child, that is not working. That is so not working. Um, if you have older women who have um, given their lives to care of others, impoverished or homeless, that is not working. Um, if you have people just because they have a child with a disability mm. not able to work and um, thrown into poverty and, um, you know, just struggling day after day, that's not working. So we need a very different kind of regime. And so what I decided to do was to get a bit radical and offer a radical alternative, which I call the universal caregiver regime. Excellent. Um, and I know I said off air that when I was reading this book, uh, it just spoke to me as being very subversive in an excellent way, because that's what needs to happen in order to really challenge in a, in a strong, concerted way, all of the stereotypes and biases and norms that have been constructed often without even our slight awareness. I mean, some people have more of a gender lens than others going through their lives, but it is quite shocking to see just how pervasive this influence is on our economic lives. Um, and you raise an excellent point around, you know, neoliberalism and the universal breadwinner because even our superannuation system was set up with men in mind as being well of course this person will work across their whole lifetime and then they will end up with a large nest egg of which of course will support them with a bit of a pension in older life and it clearly needs to change reform should have happened a long time ago and just adding a low income super contribution isn't going to fix this problem so let's move into your radical solution because it's really important to get this going again, yes. um, is about what would a universal caregiver um, regime look like in an Australian context, in a, in a context that did see Gough Whitlam, for example, already championing some of these ideas? Well, I begin that section of my essay with uh, a... A, a little fantasy, which is that someone comes in uh, to a job interview and they have a really excellent CV and there's a panel of people confronting them and um, assessing whether they're suitable for the job. Uh, and this bright spark is sitting before them and he notices that they're all shaking their heads and shuffling their papers and something's gone wrong. And so the chair of the board assessing him starts speaking and says, look, this is all very well, but I see no evidence of caregiving in your curriculum vitae. I see no mm -hmm. evidence that you have taken time to care for um, children, for old people. There's no volunteering. There's no soup kitchens. Uh, there's no care of the environment. There's nothing which, and I'm sorry, but a good fit for our organisation is someone who has a strong ethic of care. Now, of course, the fact that for most of us this seems pie in the sky, radical, crazy, um, is that we have become absolutely accustomed to what feminist economists call the care penalty. Mm. That's ingrained in us. We think, that, and it is partly, um, it is part of all those misconceptions about gender that women are naturally self-sacrificing, that it really doesn't matter so much that someone's in poverty. Um, it's like all those pictures of the Madonna with her head bowed and uh, that whole self-sacrificing kind of ethos. Yes, it's just it, an instinct that a mother insists upon carrying out. And she 
loves to sacrifice. Well, mm. I say she doesn't, actually. <laughs> I say she's the same as any other human being on the planet um, and that we shouldn't construct things such that we're expecting great sacrifices. So one of the first things to do in a universal caregiver regime would be to remove the care penalty, which means essentially that as soon as you um, uh, have an interruption to uh, your work life, that you are apologising and bowing and scraping and trying to justify the fact that you've gone out of the workforce. Many women in, say, academia or law will tell me how difficult it is to come into those first interviews um, and when they've had a break from employment and not be able to stake their territory, which is that caregiving has been a valuable activity. It's been a contribution, um, an invaluable one to the society, and now they're ready to make another one, perhaps drawing on um, earlier um, work or, or qualifications. So we partly penalise that far too much. Uh, but then there are many other um, aspects to a universal caregiver regime, and we should stop misidentifying what is really... Um, uh, the new capitalism, uh, uh, neoliberalism, mm. uh, with feminism. So we need to start finding uh, our voices and we need to start um, thinking about, for example, universal basic income, uh, which doesn't discriminate on the basis of uh, your workforce status because it's universally granted. Um, I noticed in the discussions that we've had earlier this year about universal basic income, immediately coming to the fore was the argument that how is it possible we've constructed a society where the, some of the most important labour that you will ever do, caring for an old person, caring for someone with a disability or a child, um, is economically penalised. So can mm. we you know, find another way around that? Uh, but I also think we've got to look really seriously at the policy framework um, that Scandinavia um, has um, and recognise that what we have um, is currently pathetic. Uh, it's completely inadequate. And if you genuinely want uh, uh, women to have the possibility of continuing uh, through their lifespan and having access to paid work, you have to stop uh, penalising care and you have to actually reorganise the workforce. Because one of the things that is very clear to me is that with the decimation of unions, we actually lost an opportunity uh, as women began entering the workforce to really have the kind of collective power to bargain uh, and to establish uh, workforce conditions that make it possible for you to work and, and do care. It shouldn't be impossible. It's just no. that we've constructed and we've benefited, we being the elites, have benefited for a very long time by essentially males being what I call in the piece care commanders following the um, Irish feminist um, uh, Kathleen Lynch. And women have been seen as the care foot soldiers. So we are now, unless someone's very wealthy and they too, uh, being female, um, can be become a, a care commander, mm -hmm. um, we expect them to you know, pay for just a raft of, of services and so on. Whereas if you um, dusted off the idea of uh, not only workplace reform to make it genuinely possible to combine work and, and care, uh, but also it is time we took another fresh and determined look at men being caregivers because that's the part that no one seems to be really serious about. Whereas as, you know, with this anecdote I started with, I am serious. I think people um, should, as part of a whole life, be involved with caregiving. I don't think anyone yes. gets let off 
actually. I don't see, and I think it's a humane thing to do. I think mm. it's a humanising thing. I think it's actually a point of um, honour to look after the vulnerable. And that's what we have to shift. Instead of something that's um, rather shame-ridden for men, um, instead of something that is economically penalised, we need to dismantle the economic penalty and we need to uh, start respecting and honouring uh, those caregiving roles such that um, uh, they're attractive, but also um, to make it not really possible to say, oh, my wife does all of that or, or somehow offloading um, all the care work. That, exactly. you know, that should be... We, we've had great shifts in the culture. Like, we've just um, voted for gay marriage. Who would have thought yeah. when I was growing up? Um, and thank goodness we have. But we, we, there are great shifts in the culture where a moral quickening can occur. Mm. And so I think now the time for a moral quickening on um, proper redistribution of care work, um, it, it, you know, it, the, the moment is now. I couldn't agree more, and man I'm so resoundingly yes to everything you've just said. And it does remind me of a wonderful movement in um, the Nordic countries where they call these groups of men looking after their children latte papas because they're all sitting in cafes with their babies talking to other dads who are also being the primary carer at that point in time and that is only because of the policy changes that were made and were government-led and meant that normalising um, fathers as equal carers was a, a real thing, a reality. Um, and I'm going to have to finish it there, but I really appreciate your time today. It has been lovely talking to you. And you. That was Anne Mann, who is a philosopher and author. She has contributed a chapter to a new book called Dangerous Ideas About Mothers. And uh, this chapter is absolutely worth reading in full, as well as the others. Um, it's called Mothers and the Quest for Justice, from the universal breadwinner to the universal caregiver regime. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.